Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Amen, amen. Come on, someone give Jesus a big praise in the house. Wow. So great. Wasn't that beautiful? I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm trying to sing and stay, you know, a man. Real men cry, right, guys? There were four guys that agreed with me. The rest were, the rest were ladies. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. And what an honor to be able to witness the testimony of these folks who are saying publicly, I have given my life to Christ and I'm not turning back. He has saved my life. He has changed my life. Um, what a raise cannot do, what a, 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 a new spouse cannot do, what a, a new job cannot do, what, what the world has to offer cannot do, Jesus does. He's the secret to your life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can come from a lot or a little. It doesn't matter what shade melanin you have. It doesn't matter whether you had good parents or bad parents or no parents. It doesn't matter what your issues are. He is the answer. He is the secret to your life's success. He becomes everything. And he, is, he loves you. He loves me. He died so that we would have a new life in him. And that confession of faith that each one of these people have made in their lives, and they're testifying to it here in their water baptism, is the gateway. It's the doorway to a new life he, where he teaches us how to think and how to be and how to act and how to react. He changes our nature the broken parts of us, the dysfunctional parts of us that, man, New Year's resolutions and promises and goodwill hasn't changed in you. He does that. It starts with salvation. doesn't start before salvation. I got to clean up before I come to Christ. No, that's impossible. There isn't a soap on the market that can wash us of our sin. It starts with humility. It starts with an understanding, oh, man, I need God. And I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I confess to my Savior. That is the key. That is the moment where the whole new world opens up to us. A world of transformation and renewal. At the end of the service, we're going to have a chance to pray a prayer together. And if uh, the Lord is speaking to you and you're far from him or you don't know him at all. Maybe you know religion, but you don't know relationship. Maybe you've even visited or you're online watching, a, you know, because you knew a cousin or a friend was getting baptized. You kind of, church has not, not been your thing because maybe you've had a bad experience. Well, church, church isn't perfect, but Christ is. And he wants to lead you forward. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is good. And all the time. It, it, he is good. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Now, I'd read the whole chapter, and if you have 
uh, uh, your Bible or your Bible app. I encourage you after we're done reading it just to kind of scroll down and there's, there's a, list of, a list of kings here and we're not going to read them all because I don't know how to pronounce their names. <laughs> and that's not why, although that did concern me. Um, for the sake of time, we're going to read just the first seven verses, but um, there's a list here. Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. These are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all the eastern side of the Arabah. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, who ruled from Aurora on the rim of the Arnon Gorge, from the middle of the gorge to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. This included half of Gilead. He also ruled over the eastern Arabah from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, to Beth Jeshemoth, and then southward below the, slope, the slopes of Pisgah. And the territory of Og, king of Bashan, one of the last of the Raphaites who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edri. He ruled over Mount Hermon, Salika, all of Bashan to the border of the people of Geshur and Maaka, and half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites conquered them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to be their possession. Verse 7, here is a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan from Baal Gad to the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir. Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal divisions. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of the message today is Take Names. Someone say, Take Names. Take I remember being uh, on my way to English class, my 11th grade year, Mr. Cordero. He taught our English class, 11th grade English, and he taught creative writing. Had him for both of those that year. And I was, as I'm walking to, to, to class, some students are coming out. They're kind of coming out late. I'm like, what's going on? Because it was already like almost time for class to start, and they're barely just getting out of Mr. Cordero's class. And one of the, one of the girls said, hey, uh, Mr. Cordero is on the warpath, and he's taking names. <laughs> I'm like, he takes names every day. <laughs> Eric here, Susie here, right? I didn't know what that meant until I walked in. And he had the look on his face, like, go ahead and talk. You got some, go ahead and talk. He had a pack of detention in his back pocket. His pen was poised in his hand to write detention. He was not having it today. How many know what I'm talking about? Now here in the book of Joshua, there's a list, and I hope you can just scroll down and you don't have to read them, but notice there's a, a list of, there was a list of kings on the east, in the east, and then a, a list of kings in the west where God goes out of its way in this ancient Middle Eastern war document called the book of Joshua. He goes out of his way to list the names of the kings that Joshua and Israel had defeated with the help of God. Codify them, write them down, inscribe them, take the names of the enemies whom you have defeated. My goal today is to encourage you 
I want to encourage you to engage in the biblical practice of remembering. Someone say remember. The biblical practice of remembering and commemorating the victories God gives you in your life. Take names. Stop and consider what has God done in my life? What has God given me supernatural strength to overcome? What deserts have I crossed? What enemies have I defeated? What struggles have I conquered? Take names. Do this very biblical practice. I want you to know that this is, first and foremost, a biblical practice. The practice of remembering is biblical wisdom. Some would say, Lord, make me wise. More people say, Lord, make me rich. Lord, make me skinny. Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody. You're like, Lord, bless this cupcake, Lord. Bless it. You can do anything. You get all spiritual with your cupcake. Some of us need to defeat the enemy called cupcake. Got to write that down. When you walk by the donuts in the office and you walk over to the bran muffin, call that a victory, right? That's a win. Write it down somewhere. The Lord gave you the victory. We're used to praying all kinds of prayers, but you know what I believe in this context is our social context, our political context, in our, in our, in our cultural context today. More than ever, we need to pray for wisdom. Lord, make me wise. We have to be convinced that we still have more to learn, that we haven't figured it all out. Don't let your pride get in the way of you growing in wisdom. We need to pray, Lord, give me wisdom. James tells us that if we pray for wisdom, God will give it to you. That's understanding and discernment that comes from God. And don't give me the whole wisdom comes from age. It might, but I've known some old fools. I'm preaching now. That's why we take the offering first, you see. No, I mean, you know some old fools. People who might be older, but they're making the same mistakes, saying the same crazy things they did when they were 15, 18, 25. Wisdom doesn't just come with age. Real wisdom comes from God. And we find in Scripture that the practice of remembering is God's idea in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. I love this passage. It reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. And with all your what? Soul. And with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them. Someone say impress. Impress them. Get them. Teach them. Instill it in your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's about remembering. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them. Codify them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, 
Be careful that you do not, what? Forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Stop there. You get that? He's saying, remember what I've done. You're enjoying the vineyards and olive, olive groves you didn't plant. You're enjoying the benefits of, of, of things you did not build. I have blessed you. I have provided for you. Don't be confused. Don't drink the Kool-Aid of society that you did it. No, I did it. You might not even should be here if not for the miraculous intervention on your behalf physically. Some of us should have been dead a long time ago. So impress them on your children. Remember for yourself. Write them in, uh, on your households. Remember what God has done. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Someone say, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. The things that God shows you and demonstrates to you, write them down so that it can be a testimony and a sign for others. Joshua chapter 4, verse 4, here even in the book that we're studying, it says, uh, verse 1 and following, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. From right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, to serve as a what? As a what? As a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a what? Memorial to the people of Israel forever. He says, write it on your doorpost. Tell your children about these things. Talk about it when you get up, when you go to sleep. He says, write down what God has shown you. Then here, he says, build a monument. Get some stones and build a monument because for this very reason, are you ready? You need to remember I did it, not you. I did it, not you. When you see a miracle happen, when you see yourself receive something you shouldn't have received, when grace and mercy are extended to you and you don't deserve it. When you should have gotten in trouble, but you didn't. You weren't so smart and you weren't lucky. God was working even when you didn't realize it. He was working. Someone say, remember. You got to take names. Why do we need to do this? Why is this biblical wisdom? Let me just give you just a few things to consider. Number one, or yeah, number one. Remembering God's intervention keeps us worshipful, and worship keeps you healthy. At Thrive, someone say Thrive. Thrive. We're all about being healthy. 
We're all about functioning healthy. We're all about getting better, growing as a man, as a woman, as a friend, as a cousin, as a worker, as a steward. We're all about being uh, uh, healthy when we deal with conflict and, and challenges, but also healthy when we deal with victories. When we remember what God has done, when we take names and call out the kings that have been defeated in our lives, those principalities, those powers, those, those, those things or even people that had authority that was set up against your good, your, your well-being, and God defeats those powers in your life, you need to remember because when you remember such things, you cannot help but worship God. And perhaps someone's kind of new or new to church or new to, you know, new to God. Let me tell you, if you're going to go to Thrive, you're going to learn that the Bible does not make you the center of the universe. A true understanding of Scripture is not you in the middle and God revolving around you. But rather God in the middle and you revolving around him. That is the relationship that God wants with us because that's what's best for you. He created you to bring him glory. And when we worship him, we become healthier. We stop being a a potentially like a swamp that's just trying to receive things and things just set. And they become like a swamp becomes still and it it can be bad to drink that water and there's mosquitoes and and, and what lives in swamps? Um, Bacteria, that was a fancy word. Hey, everybody, bacteria lives in the swamps. <laughs> Pastor Albert with the very wise, wise answer. <laughs> I was thinking crocodile. <laughs> Pastor Albert has the cleanest pool in Manteca. <laughs> you don't want to be a swamp. You want to be a river. River flows, full of life, it moves. When you remember what God has done, you become a river where it's all about Him, honoring Him, thanking Him, giving Him the credit for what He has done. In Him, we live and move and have our being, Paul says. We don't take another breath without Him allowing it, without Him enabling it. And so, what credit could we ever take for ourselves? when we can't even breathe without him. Worshipful, worship, worship him on your commute, worship him. You get upset, stop stewing like a swamp about the person you're upset with and start becoming a river of worship. Lord, I worship you anyways. I give you glory. Lord, you're in charge. You're with me. I give you praise. Help me to honor you even though I'm upset. Help me to honor you even though I'm mad. See, you don't have to pretend you're not mad. That's not Christian. It's not more Christian to pretend you're not mad. Christians get mad. You just need to start, see? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, young man, for illustrating that. We got to start getting mad for the right reasons and the right ways. And you can't sin in your anger, right? right? But it doesn't do good to pretend you're not mad. Say, Lord, I'm really mad right now. Help me, though, Lord, not to sin against you. Help me not to shame you. Help me to still give you glory. Reign me in, Holy Spirit, because I'm a mess. And I've always been kind of wild and and unbridled. Holy Spirit, help me. 
give me self-control. Are you following me? And why? Because I want to worship you. I want to give you praise and glory with how I live, not just not just words in a song, but I want, the way that I live, I want to be that living sacrifice that you talk about in Scripture. We need to remember, and when we, because when we remember what God has done, it makes us worshipful, and being worshipful makes you healthy. Number two is that remembering God's intervention keeps us humble, and humility keeps us safe. Humility will keep you safe. I'm not saying don't be confident. Just don't be arrogant. Be confident in Christ and who he's made you to be. But be humble. There's a, there, when you're coaching in sports, when you're coaching in sports, there's a lot of sports, a lot of sports, most sports, you do your best when you, when you, have, when you stay low. Whether you're making a tackle in football, your offensive linemen could be often the biggest guys on the football field. They could be in pro sports, college sports, they could be 6'4 and 300 pounds of muscle and speed. And they, they have to duck, you know, 6'7 six, six, and they're ducking through doorways. They're, they're tall. And one reason why they get that scholarship or they get that contract is because they're big. But offensive linemen don't block. They don't do their job standing up. They get low. Doesn't matter how big and strong they are. Get low. Get low if you want to make the play. You're not going to tower over your enemy. You're going to take the low ground if you're going to do your job. And, and what's interesting is it doesn't matter that you're 320, 6'5", you get low. And it doesn't matter what the score is. You could be winning by 30 points in the fourth quarter. The moment you stand up and not do your job is when that, your adversary gets around you and hits your quarterback. Bad things happen when we decide not to be humble. And it doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account today. The score can never be so high in your favor that... The scripture, pride comes before a fall, won't apply to you. You can't outscore the scripture. You can't hedge your bets against truth. We need to stay low. We need to stay humble. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember. Someone say remember. Remember, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years. To what? Humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you what? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When we remember what he's done, we stay humble. And when we stay humble, we stay safe. Because we rely on the word of the Lord. Remembering God's intervention keeps us worshipful, it keeps us humble. And the last thing I want to share with you is that God's intervention, 
remembering it. Someone say remember. remember. Remembering God's intervention keeps us faith-filled. And faith keeps us brave. We trust all kinds of things in life. We trust all kinds of things. You realize that when you cross a bridge in your car, you're trusting the bridge maker. And you're trusting whoever's supposed to be maintaining the bridge. And you're trusting that whoever's in charge of those maintaining the bridge is doing a good job of making sure that they're maintaining it. Now you're getting nervous. You trust that whatever, whatever computer program, software, testing equipment, metrics are going to be sound. That the bridge won't fall into the ocean when you drive over it. I was in Spain on a mission trip, and uh, this was a really neat opportunity for our team because there was this thriving Christian church in, in, in Spain and in, uh, in Madrid. And Christian churches have struggled in Europe for a long time. This church was what you would call a mega church in Spain. They had about 400 people that was attending this church and they had just finished a new, a new building. Or not, well, they had finished the sanctuary of the new building. The rest was still construction. It had taken them a long time just to build their meeting room. They had a couple of services. I think each one would seat about 250 to 300 people. So it was a nice sized room, a little smaller than this one. Money was tough to acquire, and so they had the building, and they had some speakers, they had a stage, and they had chairs. <clears throat> These chairs were really outdoor chairs. They were like patio chairs, backyard chairs, uh, made of plastic, like a hard plastic. And so we're, the, the place is full because we're, we're, um, we're, this is their grand opening. This is their big Sunday opening. The place is packed. There's, there's more than 250 people in there, people standing outside in the back. <clears throat> because we were from America and we were there to help you know, minister to them, they blessed us. They honored us by giving us the front row, the front row of the sanctuary. And so our team was there. We worship for about 40 minutes, 40 minutes of singing. It's hot, no air conditioning. And so they said, okay, we're going to get ready for the word. You may be seated. So everyone sat down. Everything was fine until I sat down. And when I sat down on my chair, the legs came out from under it, and I went feet up right in the front row, right in the front row. No one else's chair broke, collapsed under their weight, but I hadn't prayed over my cupcake. <laughs> Lion devil. My chair gave way, and oh, man, you know, there was like, a, 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 you know, the, the, the gasp of shock. <gasps> It's like all the air went out of the building into the lungs. <laughs> Literally, my feet went up. Now, those, those co-laborers of the gospel with me, my, my, my compatriots that were next to me, come from traveling in America, from America in a plane in these, in these kind of difficult places to sleep, you know, sharing necessities. They rallied to me and laughed. <laughs> there was no mercy. There was no prayer for healing. They just laughed. And I got up real quick. And I, I wasn't 
I was kind of embarrassed. I, I'm not going to say I wasn't embarrassed. I was actually sad I broke their chair, right? Because <laughs> they don't have, like, money to buy more chairs. I think, oh, my gosh, I should have never sat down on the chair. Now someone's not going to come to church because there's no chair for them. Well, the leg went out. I went and stood in the back, and everyone got over it, and the service continued. You know, you trust the chairs you're sitting in right now. We trust all kinds of things that may or, not, may or may not be trustworthy because they are maintained and they are supported by the wisdom or the craftsmanship of men. Why is it so hard to trust the Lord? When you think about his promises that are backed by his character, He's not a man that he should lie. His promises are yes and amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's promised that his word would never return void. Why do we find it so hard to trust his word and so easy to trust a chair? Or a bridge. Remembering what God has done. Remembering how he has saved you, changed you. Taking the names of your enemies. What enemies has he vanquished in your life? Has it been depression? Has it been poverty? Has it been a sense of abandonment? What has he done to heal your heart of hurt and abuse? And neglect. What names should you be taking? What names should you be writing down of enemies that God has overcome in your life? You need to remember because we're not done fighting till we get to heaven. And on Wednesday, there's going to be a new name that might pop up, but God's going to help you to take that one too. Just like he did yesterday, he'll do it for you tomorrow. Remembering makes you brave. The, wor the worship team can come up. We're going to conclude our service. Remembering makes you brave. Remembering what God has done makes you courageous. It reminds you of his goodness, his stability. What we have uh, witnessed today By watching people be baptized, the symbolism is as they go down into the water, they are dying to their old life. It's like a grave. And as they come up out of the water, there is representative of their being born again into a new life. Why were they willing to take such a step? is that they have seen God already do things in their lives. And they trust him that he'll do it again. He'll do it again. You have to know, friend, he'll do it again. Why would he, Joshua have to write down all these names? And in the West, there were 31 kings, and they count them one at a time. One, 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 one. 
Why would God have Joshua write down these names? It's because Joshua, you're not done fighting till I welcome you home. You need to remember what I have done in your life. I want to invite you to stand with me, family, and take a moment. Take a moment to consider what has God done for you? Where would you be if not for the Lord? What has had, what had a hold on you and you've seen it loosen on your life? What kind of way were you where someone who knew you in the past wouldn't recognize the difference? Why aren't you bitter like you used to? Why aren't you violent like you used to? Why aren't you insecure like you used to be? What has God done in your life? As the worship team leads us, can you just consider? Take some names right now. Worship him and be humbled and be brave. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.